Hi, I'm Mark Fields, the host, and this is the Kinship Collective. We are ending otherness, growing our solidarity by celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture together. This week, we get to talk with Eric Johnson. He's a friend, a neighbor, a brother, and he's been doing racial reconciliation work in our city for over 30 years. He is committed and he's committed to growing. So we'll have this conversation. He'll talk about the history of race, some of the roots of discrimination and the ways that the church has been complicit and even benefited from slavery. We'll kind of have that kind of a talk. We'll talk uh, about dignity and we'll, we'll sit in that space about dignity and how do we honor the dignity of everybody around us. And then we'll talk about scripture, Genesis chapter one, the very beginning, the framework for who God is and how we perceive God and how God perceives us, which is absolutely incredible. There's a magic moment about how we actually experience that at the very end, maybe 10 minutes from the end. So if you want to skip ahead to that, I think you got to kind of earn the rapport with us, with Eric to really experience it. But I am so thankful you're listening. Check out our conversation this week with Eric. Today, we are joined by an incredible human being. To me, he represents commitment to community. He represents advocacy and solidarity, wisdom, grace to self. Uh, I really appreciate and inspired by our guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Johnson. Eric, welcome, welcome, man. What did I miss? What did I miss? <laughs> oh, just being in the room where it happens, brother. Yee-hoo. Come on. Man, man. What, uh, what an amazing day. I, I was so glad that you got to be a part of that earlier because it, it wasn't that I was on pins and needles. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, when you start speaking truth um Mm. one of one of the things that i've learned is that you know if there's such a thing as a superpower my story is my superpower i can use that to humanize the room Mm -hmm. so that when um when those little swords come out um everyone knows that i'm what i'm doing is i'm cutting something away that's harmful i'm not Mm -hmm. coming to harm you Mm. So I'm coming from a place of love. And so I, I I realized before I even hit the things that we may, you know, talk about today that, um, that I needed to start with something from my story that would humanize the room. So they knew that I was not on the attack Mm. that those, my words could be heard. Mm -hmm. Eric, I, I so appreciate that. We've had other conversations where you talked about your superpower is vulnerability. Yes. And that's always interesting to me because I don't think I don't think as a super I think you've practiced that muscle of the courageous muscle of being willing to go into a place that many people maybe haven't done the work to go aren't healed enough to go but you're willing to go there. And so earlier today Eric and I were in a meeting in our community and there's all kinds of leaders in the space and Eric shared um, about some of the, the the challenged history of the church uh, as it relates to uh, people of color. And uh, I'm hoping we can get into some of that here too, to celebrate Black History Month and kind of get to some of the roots of why some people have a difficult time vibing with the church, uh, especially around issues of race. And I thought that some of the stories that you share were just incredible. They were super moving. And I, it was interesting to see how the room respond, the Zoom room responded to that truth also. Yes. Yeah. So. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I, I want to start with Elizabeth Key. Um, okay. Maybe that's a step too far back. Um, well, we could, let's, well, let's start with John Punch and go to Elizabeth. Yes, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, to understand uh, where our nation is now, um, because there, there, are, there are terms and phrases, and I'm not apologizing for any of these, nor and am I using them as a weapon? Um, but I, I understand that if we want forward movement, you have to know how to turn enemies into allies. Mm. And the only way that that is going to happen is what I said earlier about humanizing the room and then bringing understanding in a gracious way um, so, mm. that, so that people understand that um, 
you're, you're taking the thorn out of the paw because you're in pain, not because I'm, I'm coming to harm you. So if, if we're going to have this, uh, if we're, if I just, if I started this off by saying, let's talk about what's wrong with the church. Let's talk about the history of racism in the church. Oh, you know, back off, you know, nope, nope. You know, there's already some shutdown. Um, but if you start, um, which is why I started with a little bit of a, about my story about um, recognizing that, that for so long in my life without even realizing it, that I was a captive, that I was a slave to perceptions. Um, when uh, in my quiet time, God spoke to me um, and said, Eric, you are my beautiful boy. I'm so proud of you. And I burst into tears because I realized what God was saying. There was no doubt what God was telling me. He was telling me, you see yourself as a beautiful person internally, but you don't see yourself as a person of beauty externally. I, I didn't even realize I was living in that untruth until mm -hmm. that very moment. And it was so clear to me. And I, then my question was, how did I get here? What were, what are the things from my past that clouded my perceptions and what else is in the driver's seat of my perceptions? And I, and this is how I approach the, the, the topic of equity, which is a, um, which is the needed conversation. Uh, and so we have to go back to those, those origins. Um, and so it, it all starts back in uh, 1640. Mm. Uh, an indentured servant that was African by the name of John Punch uh, was uh, dealing with the, uh, the abusive, uh, not slavery at the time, yet, but still uh, very demeaning, dehumanizing, indentured servitude. Uh, and there were others. And uh, something to understand about uh, the colonies at that time, that there were so many people of different national origins. And that's, that's important. I, I, up until this point, um, I don't want to talk about race because race was something that didn't exist at that time. Mm. People were identified by their nation of origin. So you were African, you were uh, Irish, you were a Dutchman. All right. So when uh, John Punch uh, flees, he flees with two of his comrades who were also uh, desiring to escape this injustice. They were all equals. They were all suffering equally. And so uh, John runs off with an Irishman and a Dutchman, and they are immediately caught. And when they are brought before court, the Irishman and the Dutchman are each sentenced to serve an additional five years of indentured servanthood. But John Punch was sentenced to serve his master for the rest of his life. Mm. The first case, and, and when I say case, I mean not example of slavery because there was slavery that was already existing at the time but this was a court case this is where the law showed favoritism and made a statement you three may come from equal circumstances but you three are not equal mm. and it sends a message and it builds uh, a multi-class coalition against africans so what does is, what is everybody not want to be? I don't want to be an African. Mm -hmm. and, and now this case provides precedent for legalized slavery. That, mm -hmm. that if you are African, you will be an indentured servant for the rest of your life. And your children and your children's children will be born into this. Mm -hmm. uh, which leads us to the next case in the, in the mid uh, 1600s, uh, Elizabeth Key. With mm -hmm. Key uh, is the the byproduct of, uh, and all of this takes place in Virginia. Um, uh, the House of Burgess was the uh, the first 
legislative um, organization in the colonies. All right. So when you're when you're talking about the law, the 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 legislative body that existed was in Virginia. All right. So the John Punch case takes place in Virginia. Elizabeth Key, uh, she is the byproduct of um, of an Englishman. Uh, 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 and a and a and a female slave, all right. Um, uh, she's bo therefore born into slavery, um, and her father uh, makes the wish of of um, of her master that he would like he wants her to be released from slavery at at the age of fifteen, and the slave master says no. Um, and you have to understand also that that in, you know, in terms of adulthood, sixteen is is the is the age, um, and so uh, she ends up marrying a, uh, an indentured servant who has a background in law, and they go to court and sue for her right to be freed, and her case is that one, she is um, she is the daughter, uh, and and according to English courts. Um, the, the issue of the rights of, of the child come from the father, all right? So the father determines that. So if the father is free, then the daughter should be free, all right? So she sues on that right. And then on the others that she is now a Christian. And under English common law, no Christian can be made a slave. Mm. And so the courts rule in her favor and she is, she is uh, set free. But of course, this creates complete total uproar within the colonies because they needed um, a labor force and they didn't want anything to interfere with that. And so when this case was won, um, landowners, uh, slave masters immediately stopped, watch this, immediately stopped um, baptizing their slaves and sharing anything in regards to Christianity mm. until mm. the Virginia legislature in, I believe, 1666 passed a law that the determination of rights will now come from the mother, not the father. And so this meant that uh, because we're, we're talking about the, the ruling class, we're, we're talking about the higher echelon of, of men can have their way with any woman, especially their slaves, produce a child, and that child will, can no longer um, be set free from slavery because of the father or because they are a Christian. Once that law was passed, slave owners, these property owners, went back to sharing the blessed sacrament and the practice of baptism. Mm. This, is, this is the betrayal of the deepest held tenant of our faith, the Omago Dei, that in Genesis, where it said that we are made in the likeness and image of God. And because we are made in the likeness and image of God, then we are worthy of love. We are worthy of equity. We are worthy of justice. We are worthy of community. We are, we are not property. We are the image of God. And, uh, you know, through th the, sometimes I, you know, I, I just hear people make these statements like, oh, when you talk about justice, that's a social gospel. No, justice, every Jew, Jesus was a Jew. Every Jew understood this. They understood that justice was a part of the Imago Dei. So uh, when, in Isaiah, and I, it, is there, should I just go ahead and just read? Go ahead, absolutely. <laughs> so in Isaiah, uh, let, let's start with Isaiah 61, verse 1. Mm -hmm. uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the, for the prisoners. All right. Uh, what happens in Luke chapter four? Jesus reads this very passage 
And he says, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your midst. Well, when you read further in, I, in Isaiah 61, I believe it's somewhere around verse 8, what does it say? I, the Lord, love justice. Mm. Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of that. When Jesus talks about who truly represents his kingdom, he gives the parable of the, of the sheep and goats. And who are the sheep? The very ones that do this work that is outlined in Isaiah. What, what was Jesus's indictment on the goats? He said, you, you didn't visit me in prison when I, was, <laughs> when I was sick, when I was homeless, when I, was, when I had no clothing, when I was hungry. What is that? That is an indictment on justice. The great commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? What does that look like? It looks like the Imago Dei. If I understand that I am made in the image and likeness of God, and so is everyone else, then I am to love my neighbor as the likeness and image of God. So now we go back to this, uh, this, these decisions that were made, and we see a violation of the greatest commandment. Um, the the thing I didn't say today, but if we're going to just take it a step further, come on, come on, is when we uh, in now we're in 1683, and the House of Burgesses convene over property. Who, because Virginia is now parceling out property, 50 acres of land. Who is going to get that property? Well, we know it's it's going to be defined as men but we just can't say Europeans. We have to dictate who these individuals are. And this is where the creation of white happens in the colonies. That if you are white, then you have advantages. You have privileges. Um, but there's also something that you lose. And this is, I, I didn't say this earlier, but this is this is important to note when you become white you give up your culture mm, mm, you're mm. no longer uh you you gave up because now you're no longer identified by your nation of origin you are no longer identified by your religion you are now identified by a construct called race you're identified as white and if you are poor, and if you are the working class, you want to participate in that advantage. And so you become white, no longer a Scotsman, no longer an Irishman, you become white, no mm. longer European, you become white. And the goal at that point is if I want to survive, if I want to, and, and, and bear in mind, everyone was not treated equally when you are white. The, the poor and the middle class are going to participate, but just enough to, to create allegiance. Allegiance to the upper class, but no allegiance to their, their fellow non-white compadres that, uh, that are suffering the same thing. All right, so I mean, if we're going to, if we're doing the math on this and we're still in Virginia, well, then let's talk about the Virginian Thomas Jefferson, the Saxon. And so he writes uh, our, our, our constitution and our declaration of independence. And we find these amazing words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness sounds beautiful it sounds like the imago day but it's not it's a form of godliness but it denies the power thereof mm, mm, mm. because all men is is not all men we have created something and i'd say we you know our, 
uh, this ruling class has created a definition of who those men are. Isn't this what George Orwell was trying to warn us in the book Animal Farm? Mm, mm, we read mm. that book. It, it, it became so clear to me uh, the, the message that George Orwell was trying to get across, that, these, these, that, that the farm animals no longer want to be slaughtered, no longer want to be murdered. They no longer want their children to be taken away. And so they take over the farm and they make this alliance. And, and their, their, their first tenet is that all animals are created equal. But then the pigs are smarter than anyone else. And they become the ruling class. And eventually that changes to all animals are created equal. But some animals are more equal than others. This is our constitution. This is our declaration of independence. And if we, uh, you know, this is, this is like the matrix when all of a sudden I, I took the pill and I, all of a sudden I, I woke up and realized just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. um, this, is, this is the understanding that, that if I stand on context, these documents are not for me. I have to stand on the greater law. I have to stand on the greater principle. And that is biblically the Imago Dei. But uh, the, the reason why I point all of these things out is that before the foundation of the United States of America, the church was complicit in betraying the very tenets of, of, of God. Mm. And that we see that complicity throughout history. We think it just started after slavery or during the civil rights movement or during Jim Crow. No, that the church's complicity in this has been from the beginning. And that's not to say that there were, that there were not, if I can say this in the words of Stan Lee, true believers. There were true believers. Uh, there, was, there was the Mennonite church that was against this all along. They said, you, no person can be made a slave in the eyes of God. So this is not, when I say these things, this is not an indictment on the body of Christ as a whole. It is an indictment on the Church of America in particular, who exchanged a truth for a lie for financial gain. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no backing away from that. And so I, I, as I did today, I, um, my, my cry and my plea and my question is for all of us to realize the things that are being said from the pulpit. And are we complicit in keeping our, our, all of our brothers and sisters in some form of slavery? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there because I know I just like, <laughs> like threw out a lot, but you know. I appreciate all that. And I think like for me, the things that stand out, a couple of things, I think that they're tied together. And to me, it's about that. Um, it's about um, function and how things function, right? So when it functions for us, back, back to 1640, when it functions for us, we will communicate the gospel and when that gospel functions for the ways that we want to function, then we will communicate that. And if it rubs up against any of that, especially our money, mm -hmm. then, then we're not going to be about that. So that, that, that to me is, is a big piece. And it just makes me question. It, it brings me back to the, the, the ever loving question about the American church. Um, it's the same question that Jesus asked. I think it's one of the pervading questions. I think that Jesus would drive home, you know, will you serve money or will you serve God? Yes. Um, and what does that look like? Yes. And so for me, when I think about some of the ways that we are still othering people, some of the ways that people are still um, discriminated against, excluded from leadership, excluded from meaningful participation, um, whether those people are gay, whether those people are people of color, indigenous, um, whatever people are being, um, whether it's women in some places, um, it's, it's just, to me, it's just interesting 
which is, I mean, it's sad to even say, like, I don't like saying interesting. It's, 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 it's just, it is um, thought provoking. It is pausing. It's shocking, but it's also, it just calls me to a halt to say like, so what is this about? Right. Do, does this, does this place, and I think of anybody listening, it's like, does the place that I'm currently growing, pursuing God, does this place, um, is it, is it, what is it functioning to do? What are the values that are driving the thing? Which I think is a big ask. I think because unless you're being excluded, a lot of times you aren't aware because the system is built for you to some degree. Um, and when you've just been raised up around the thing back to like fishes, fish in water, it's like, you can't tell a fish what water is. It's just, they, they're just in water back to the matrix. And what you said about like, where you just exist in the matrix, you're just in the matrix and you don't really realize how much in the matrix you are, um, tasting it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think I'm trying to think of, uh, I think I was listening to Brene Brown in one of her recent Dare to Lead podcasts with Aiko, I think, who's just an incredible human being out in Atlanta, I think. Um, but there, I think she was talking about the matrix in that way. Um, it's just around you, you're just in it. Um, it's really interesting. So to me, I think that's, that's the, that's that piece about what does this thing function to even do? Right. And it, I, you know, we have to ask questions. We, we have to, um, we have to value history, not worship it, but we have to value it and, and, and research it so that we know uh, the pathway that we're going. Because there, we all are born into, um, you know, whether we, we want to call them bubbles or realities or whatever they are, we're born into what we assume is truth. And we're not aware of what existed prior. Uh, and so we make assumptions based on our surroundings. I mean, I was born in South Central Los Angeles. I've lived in California all my life. The first time that I took a road trip, my assumption living in Southern California is that our entire nation is like Los Angeles and that you just keep driving you know, uh, on freeways and you, you hit another city and another city and there's more you know, shopping malls that, that everything looks like LA. So it was a rude awakening when I either drive over the grapevine or drive outside of California and realize that everything is not this. Mm -hmm. I assumed it was. Um, I, when I was born, I had four sets of grandparents. I thought everybody had four sets of grandparents. That was the truth I was born into. Well, nobody explained to me the concept of divorce. And this is why I have four sets of grandparents. So there are, I do not... This is why the approach has to be with understanding and love, um, because you can't beat people up for um, for their 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 ignorance of what they're not aware of. The mm -hmm. goal is to provide thought-provoking discussion that helps you see what you haven't seen before. Because we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. We all have the things that that we don't see, and we all. Um, have the capacity and even the tendency to block out the other when we're not aware of the other or because of what's subconsciously been fed into us. Um, something that was alarming, I was listening to this podcast and um, the, the narrator uh, began making the statement about um, what he learned in school and social studies about the, the three classes of man. And as he's reciting it, it was like it was like a trigger. It came out of my mouth the same time as he was saying it. Oh, the three classifications of man are caucasoid, mongoloid, and negroid. And I just like oh, that this was in me. Because the way I said it was the way it was taught. Now, not only is this not a scientific fact, but what else did it teach? It taught that the hierarchy is. Caucasoid, Caucasian, Mongoloid, 
everything that was not black and then Negroid. And what's the thing that you don't want to be? You don't want to be black mm -hmm. because based on the laws that were created prior to our constitution and immediately following the establishment of our nation to be white equaled freedom to be Negro or black equaled slavery. So you didn't want to be in that other category. Yeah, so yeah. There's so much, uh, I feel like that's there. Um, I'm just, I appreciate that, that conversation as a starting point. How do we build empathy and understanding? I'm thinking about um, some ideas about the church and uh, the original church um, working on a sermon and um, about the responsibility of what it means to be mature, even when it's just when you are the, the slave people, the Jewish underclass, but you start to model this incredible unearthly love and generosity for your neighbors and neighbor includes everybody you start to honor the image of godness in every single human being so much so you're sacrificing for them you're committed to them before they're committed to you just like yahweh has has modeled for you and that you've seen modeled in christ and so i i'm just thinking about what that means um for for people like the real rubber meets the road, when we have the conversation, how much tolerance do we have? Um, yeah, what would you speak to some of that? Uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I have to lean into is, you know, I, I know this sounds so old school church, what God says I am, I am. Well, okay, if we say that, God says that we have the ministry of, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And that in the verses above that, it says that we, Paul says that we view no man from a worldly point of view. So I, I have to trust that within me is this ministry that God has given me. And I need to like, you know, I need to flex that muscle. I need to learn how to use that muscle. Um, that I, that I have the ability within me to transform an enemy into an ally. And many times I found out it's not that the individual changes, it's my perspective and perception of that, of that individual that changes. Um, if I go looking for a fight, I'm gonna find an enemy. There's a, a, an amazing book um, called The Anatomy of Peace. Mm. Uh, I love these books that are written as stories. And as you're reading the story, you learn these truths. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the, the title is, is the, the premise of the book is so simple that in this story, um, you learn whether you have a heart at peace or a heart at, at war. And I remember just, just the communication of that one theme, people would go, ooh. I, I need to read that because that, that was easy to communicate. Um, it's uh, published by uh, the Arbinger Group. Um, you can find it on, on Amazon, but uh, man, I just, uh, I, I read it constantly. I read the story over and over that this Muslim and, that, and this Jew found common ground when, when they were at once, once upon a time enemies and they teach reconciliation to others. Um, especially uh, in the story, it's how they teach reconciliation to parents who are at, at odds with their with their children and teenagers. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing story that is so transformational. And every time uh, I see a group of people read it, and and they because you, it's hard to like read it, you know, like one chapter and go, okay, I'll I'll read a little more next week. You just like you chew through that thing and you're usually done in less than a, a week, if not a couple of days. And then when you see somebody who's read it, they're like shaking their head, man, the anatomy of peace. Mm. Because you can't escape that. You have to find your way to a heart at peace. 
I can have people be against me, but I can still have a heart at peace towards them and not a, a heart at war. I, uh, and one of the examples that they give is how uh, like two nations or two tribes could be at war, but how the general of, of this one army was not, he had a heart at peace. He still, he saw people, he didn't see the enemy. Mm. And so when he won battles, he treated these people humanely. This general, there's a different way of even being at war yes. when I can see human beings. Yes. And it's not just about taking this land, accomplishing this thing. Right. It's human beings. Right. Hmm. Right. I'm, and, I'm, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm saying the, the capacity to see people. Um, I, I, there are people who do heinous things. Uh, there are... Um, there are people who uh, ignorantly or intentionally want to bring harm or bring destruction. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we are all called to see those individuals as the Imago Dei. Mm. We are still called to uh, see them as individuals who are worthy of love, mm -hmm. worthy of justice, and um, and I have to find the pathway to have a heart at peace towards that individual. Mm -hmm. so. I absolutely love that. I'm gonna read. Um, I'm gonna read the the passage. Okay. From Genesis, and then we'll just kind of talk through some of those implications. We've already talked through a lot of them, but I think just to um, to hear it, and I'll maybe frame frame Genesis a little bit too um, from a kinship standpoint, but I really appreciate what you said even already is that, I mean, I guess we always do have that choice. Um, how are we going to engage in this? What is this going to mean? How are we going to do it? Um, there's, and, and there is like, we can limp along and we can be wounded and we can respond and we can react from our wounded place but that image of God place is a, is a dignified place. And that's where we find this, this passage from Genesis It's written by a people who are currently in captivity. And there are all these origin stories circling around the people that are around them. And they are uh, asserting their origin story, speaking to this uh, comic fanatic, they're asserting their origin story in the midst of all the other origin stories. And so your, your gods might think of human beings as seeds to be torn apart and spread around the world. But this God, our God is different. Our God has breathed God's very essence into our nostrils, um, made us in God's image. And so this was like that counter story. And I really appreciate that on the backdrop of what you said, because there is a counter story. And I will always be a victim if I'm like, I'm a minority which I, I hate that word minority. I don't want to say it, right? I, I'm an African-American male. I'm, you know, I'm multi-ethnic, but which is, and now I have to like educate, da, 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 da. but this story dignifies me higher. And so I can operate from this place. And it's not about like class and me trying to do climb that ladder to the different class of human and all. It's just like, no, no, no. I, I'm acting in the way that God would act mm -hmm. because I'm made in God's image. And God would love before they love me. And God would be gracious before he would be committed. God would be committed. So that's where we find this passage in Genesis. And um, they're writing about what's happening and the ways that God creates and what was there, what wasn't there. And then there's this moment uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, then God said, let us make humans in our image after our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 and so god created humanity in god's own image 
in the image of God. They were created. Male and female were created. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. I think what what feels like um what what do you think what do you what comes to mind when when you hear that this time around I think dignity oh. I, hear, I hear dignity I hear that um and I think this this goes back to one of the very first things I said about sharing my my story and what God was trying to get through to me is I I'm not an afterthought that there was something very intentional about my existence. Mm. I'm, I'm not an aimless wanderer looking for purpose, but I was intentionally designed. Being, being, the, uh, being the geek that I am, the, the comic book pop culture person, you know, who, uh, when you go to Comic-Con, you start looking for collector's items. And what makes them collector's items is because they were, um, they're rare that there's only so many of them. Um, and and what, which were the ones that are most expensive? The ones that are one of a kind. Hmm. And humanity and each one of us, we are one of a kind. And so there's a sense of, of not ego. And I think that that's the thing when ego gets in the way, um, you know, so whether we, you know, Jesus was saying you can't serve God and money or God and mammon, or God and ego, but whatever it is, the, the, the two cannot coexist. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. It does not mm. work. It does Whoa. not work. It's a form of godliness, but it has no, no power thereof. It's false mm. pretense. And so, and you know, I, I know I've, I've, I've shared in, in the past about uh, betraying ourselves. We know when we betray ourselves. Now, it's so easy to blame somebody else. We can say, I am so sick of this person and, and da, 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 and how they've inconvenienced me and everything. But at the end of the day, our anger is really not about how this individual betrayed us, but how we allowed ourselves to betray ourselves. And this happens all the time. And so then we... Um, we, you know, we take these things out, our frustrations out on other people when, when intrinsically we know that we made a decision to betray ourselves. And so our anger is with ourselves, but it's projected at others. And, and many times I, you know, people have said this and I, you know, in my own life, I found that to be true, that oftentimes the people that I try to distance myself from or the ones that I'm the most irritated with are reflections of the things that I'm irritated with about myself. Mm, mm, mm. So, I mean, I mean, didn't, this is, you know, pretty much what Jesus was talking about, you know, before you try to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye, will you get that telephone pole out of yours? <laughs> but we treat the other person as they've got, they are the ones with the problem. They're the ones that got the telephone pole. No, it's you, buddy. Mm. You got that big old plank in your eye. Mm, mm, uh, mm. And so, yeah, coming back to, to, to your question, um, when there is dignity, when, when you hear that you were handcrafted by God, that you were uniquely designed, that you are a one-of-a-kind special edition in this thing called humanity, um, as what God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, I ordained you, I established you to be a prophet to the nation. And Jeremiah, knowing that this is almighty God saying this to him, doesn't say, oh God, this, this is amazing uh, that, I, that my purpose existed before I had parents and my purpose existed before I had problems. No, Jeremiah says, I can't do this, I'm just a kid. And that this, this goes back to what's in the driver's seat of my perceptions. Mm. Because there was something in the driver's seat of Jeremiah's perceptions where he could not, even though God was saying this to him personally, he didn't believe that it was possible. Mm. Um, so I have to surrender myself to 
to the, this bigger meaning of the Omago Day that, that I'm handcrafted by God. I'm a special edition, uh, not out of ego, but out of, out of love. Mm -hmm. I love and appreciate all that. And I, I love and appreciate who you are because you, you've lived that. I mean, you've done the journey. You have um, expressed yourself in the ways where you've seen passion come alive and you've chased those things and you've done the work back to what you said about spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. You've done the work to, to be emotionally mature and you've done the work to be spiritually mature. I think when you share that about, to me, those, those scriptures really resonate with me. The, the masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10, Jeremiah, yes. Psalms 139, these, these places in scripture that honor the dignity, that give more language and more specificity to what is declared here at the very first chapter of the very first book. But there's also a place in me that's very uh, reticent or hesitant um, because I can just, you know, my sisters and my brothers, people who like, it's just, it's so much easier to believe something different, to believe what our wounds would tell us to believe for me. It's like some of those spaces where, um, I have been really marked by my childhood, right? Like, and, and I, I think I've talked about this, but you know, I, Saturday after Saturday and birthday after birthday or that moment where like for me it was my father said he would be there and didn't show and every time it was declaring oh you are not worth my time right oh you back to so so genesis right this passage we read says you're made in god's image you are worth everything then we go to like split the middle of the book and then we see this demonstration of commitment and love on behalf of christ that which is be on the cross and declare, you mean everything to me. I will hold nothing back from you, whether you believe or don't or whatever I commit to you. And I want you to be able to believe in yourself. So I will do this thing that hopefully will spark trust and belief in you when you feel like there's no possibility of belief. But I am just like, I, so I love those passages and I'm, I'm just sitting here like, how do we get to that place? Like, what does that mean? How do I get to that place when like, in a pandemic, right? Anxiety is creeping in and telling me there is no way and depression is creeping in and, and, and my job doesn't value me. I don't feel valued or whatever. It's so, it feels like so much easier to believe the other things. And I don't understand. So for me, and it becomes a question about like, how does that unbelief function? Is that me not believing that allows me to be mediocre? Does it allow me to kind of wallow? And then I can feel like, okay, about maybe not living up to my potential. I'm, I'm not sure. How would you respond to that? Ooh, you know, I think about <laughs> um, <laughs> ooh, so many thoughts, but the, the first thing that came to mind is the Pixar movie, WALL-E. Mm. And uh, when the, the director creator was talking about the film, he said that the ultimate message of WALL-E, the concept, the idea behind it is that unconditional love trumps life's programming. And the thing that you see with Wally, Wally is the Christ figure in that, in that film. He has unconditional love. And if you notice that any person or any machine that he comes in contact, contact with, even for a short amount of time, something about their programming changes. The, the robots are have a specific task, but then when Wally encounters them, then they, they wave. It, that's outside of their programming. That's not what they were programmed to do. And so there has to be, I, I mean, I, I hear you, Mark. I mean, I, I even face this now. I, I, there's, there, are, there are times and situations where I realize I'm on a precipice that can either lead to my breakdown or my breakthrough. And it's, it's fear. And it's fear because I'm listening to the other narrative that has been programmed in me from birth. There's what God has programmed me to be before I was even in my, existed in my mother's womb. But then there are the narratives that I've experienced in life that try to create another story. And I, um, the fight 
is letting go of those false narratives um, and embracing what is true. Mm. Um, uh, to quote, a, uh, to use an, uh, another Pixar movie as an example, the movie Up. Um, if the first 10 minutes of that movie doesn't wreck you, I don't know what else does. Um, but but that's the sense of our own mortality and that life is over and you didn't get to that place that you promised that you were going to get to. You didn't get to Paradise Falls because life kept interrupting. What are you going to do? And, you know, and this is where motive um, and these other narratives uh, come in because uh, Carl Fredrickson is so set on getting to Paradise Falls that he betrays himself. He betrays who he is. And he doesn't realize the mistake that he's made until he's sitting alone in that house. And Russell has gone on to, to, uh, to, to rescue the, the, the bird. Mm -hmm. And he opens up the book. He never turned the page. If he had turned the page he would have seen what Ellie wanted for him was not to get to Paradise Falls, but to have adventures of his own. And he realized the story is not over. We need to turn the page. How many times in my life have I been in a place where I thought, this is the end of the book. My life is over. Whatever God said he had planned has been interrupted. It's dead. Mm, it's gone. Mm, Who mm. told me that? Did God tell me that? No. But this other narrative told me that. And I, um, probably the, the last thing I, I say about this is uh, you need help. Um, and whether that is the practice of silence, I, I've, there, there's a, uh, um, going back to emotionally healthy spirituality, there's a 40 day devotional um, that kicks my butt every time I go through it. Uh, but one of those, uh, one of those devotions state that everything that you need from God is found in silence. Now, I'm a person that loves adventure, people, sight, sound, noise, everything. So silence is, is not me. But then I have to trust that deep within me, I am wired to be connected with God. And as I have practiced silence, I've heard and seen some of the most transformational things, especially during COVID. Because mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm getting up and I don't have any place to drive to. And so I'm taking walks and I'm quiet and I'm talking to God and I'm listening. And then when I see these terrible injustices happening and I'm grieving, God is walking me through my grief. That every, every morning he's showing me, this is what you're grieving about right now. And I remember one of the, my greatest fears was when my father dies, I didn't know how I was going to respond. I, I felt like I, it was Star Trek. I'm going boldly where no man has gone before. I'm in this ship. I have all of these supplies and all of these weapons. I have a crew. Um, and, and the audacity that I, would, I figured that whatever is on this ship is enough to take me into the unknown. I have no idea what I'm going to encounter, but I'm so sure that whatever I have on this ship is enough, you know, for whatever I encounter. Um, and I, I finally reached this point of surrender and saying, you know, I've done everything within my power to do. I just need to, to rest and trust because I don't know where the unknown is going to take me. But when these injustices started happening, and when I was grieving and God was speaking to me, there was one day after George Floyd's death where God said, you always wondered and you, you feared what was going to happen to you when your father died. And now you know. You know how to hear my voice. You know how to hear my voice so well that you are in tune with your body when you are grieving. And you know how to sit and be still and listen. And so now you know that there's nothing to fear. Now you know that I'm with you. Mm. And then my father died. Mm. And it doesn't mean that we don't grieve. It, but there wasn't any more fear. There wasn't any more apprehension about the unknown. I could just rest with God.
and let God guide me through it. And I think that that's the place where we all, in order to get to, you know, back to your question, you have to find whether it is therapy, whether it is um, a spiritual, spiritual director, whether it is quiet time, whether it's just a walk in nature. Um, uh, my place is the beach. I always feel that God is present with me at the beach, but wherever that is, be proactive about that. And God will guide you and help you see the things that enslave you or have enslaved you and then help you to see that those things don't have any power over you anymore and that you can move forward. Um, and at that moment, you'll think, I just beat Goliath. This is until the next one comes along. Mm -hmm. And then you have to remember how you got through that past one and that that will get you through this one. Because the next cross is always going to look bigger than the last one. So, um, mm. <laughs> that, I mean, that's definitely where we finish. I, there are so much responses, but I just think that that was, I mean, just clear. And there's action, actionables there and invitations there. Um, but I think we, building those practices that orient us to that unconditional love, the love that changes us somehow and those doing whatever those things are that orient us towards faith, hope, and love, those practices that, and those transform us. They transform us against our programming, against all the experiences that have told us we're not pretty enough. We're not skinny enough. We are not uh, wealthy enough. We are not young enough, old enough, whatever those things are that we put ourselves in that position to remember our dignity based on the image of God, based on our one of a kindness. However, that one of a kindness expresses itself is, is, is extraordinary. That's an extraordinary invitation, Eric. I, I so appreciate you. you. Um, if I could throw one more thing out there, I could not want anyone to forget this is um, you have to have a community um, that will love you through your blind spots. And you have to be intentional about trusting that community to call out your blind spots, knowing that they love you and are not there to harm you. Um, mm. I, I didn't just get here on my own. There's a whole community that got me here. I am resilient because of the people in my life that I trusted not to harm me, but help me. Mm. Um, and, and you need everyone needs a community. Everyone needs those people that they can see you at your worst and you know that they're going to, they're going to give you their best and you have to trust that. And that when they call you on stuff that you are accountable to that, mm. that you don't do this by yourself. This doesn't happen by yourself. Yes, there's learning and there's trust and, and everything and everything else, but we are part of the body of Christ. That means that you are knit into something that is a living community, a living being. Um, you don't do this on your own. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, I don't want anyone to think, oh my God, Eric, you know, look, look how you did. No, it, it wasn't me. <laughs> It was, it was us. It was, it was, it was God and the community that God placed around me. Mm. This is why I'm resilient. Mm -hmm. We have to be intentional about our, you know, our honesty and our vulnerability and um, uh, the soul care and self care practices that, that we do. Um, yes, there, there is work that we have to do individually but we never do that alone. Mm. That's really helpful to me. It's just a reminder. And I think like even in the community piece about the ways that we create community, I think sometimes we expect community to just happen or we want community to be the thing, but we're not willing to contribute to what that means. We're not willing to be vulnerable. We want to be in an authentic community but we're not willing to show up authentically or to drive that authenticity uh, because it feels so risky and, and it's, it can be fearful. Um, 
but I, I really appreciate that reminder. Um, it's really helpful. And I think it's, it's one of those things that there is no other way. And so you can try to, we try to do it on your, you could try to, but until you have said the thing that you think disqualifies you in front of another human being, whatever that is, whatever's been done to you, whatever you've done, and you see those other eyes looking back into your eyes and they represent, because you can't feel it. Like we can read about the scripture. We, all those passages we read, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And God loves me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But when you've done the thing, when you've betrayed yourself, when you betrayed your family, when you betrayed your values, and then you're saying, you need a human being to look you back in your eyes and say, oh, I'm a human being too. I betrayed my values too. I'm still here. I'm still lovable. And I still love you. For me, I'm, I'm so thankful for my wife in that. And just, just the ways that she just reiterates and uh, yanks on my worth. I just feel like there are some practices in our lives that tie us to other emotions of whatever things. And there are, maybe that's interesting. There are practices that might tie us to um, not enough shame, whether that's comparison, whether that's whatever. But there are people in our lives that tie us to dignity, who can remind us of the gospel, who can look us in our face and show us the love that we need to experience and feel and taste and touch and see. The idea is great. The words on the page, that's beautiful. We read John 3.16 on a page. Oh, cute. But when another human being could look me in my eyes and say, I get that. Yes. I've done that too. I've done that and this and that. Yes. I lost this, that, and the other. And I'm still here. And there are people who still love me. And I am still lovable. And I made a mistake and I am not a mistake. So I just, I just appreciate all that, Eric. And I appreciate you. Yeah, but somebody did that for me uh, uh, just recently. And it was one of the greatest gifts because I was terrified of of what was going on with me um and so I, I i sat down with him and i was trying to find the words and he just stopped me and just took my hand he said whatever you have to tell me i I'll, i can't love you any less and i just i cried and then i mm -hmm. just i just put it all out there and it mm -hmm. was to be safe in that way just with the thing that you just said, oh God, just, you know, sometimes we wonder if, uh, how we know God is with us. It is, it's with the, it's through those people. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that and, and for being a part of this conversation in ways it's, it's who you are that lands us in this place in this vulnerable grateful place aware of the risks that we've taken or the risks that are ahead of us and the calls to courage that are ahead of us to be truly seen and truly loved and fully known and fully loved um and and for living it you did the thing you created you set up the meeting you sat down the zoom whatever it was and, and you were willing to go there. And then this person back to how do we function and back to what we you talked about the understanding that uh, precedes sometimes grace or, or um, that connection. And there was a sense of for him, his ability to no matter what it is, I still love you. Right. And but then also to give you the opportunity to be seen for all of the things that you were afraid to be seen for. Right. And to hold that and to say, I still love you and to look you in your face. And I just think that that's, that's so powerful. And I think I understand that a little bit differently on the backside of this conversation about the times where even the invitations in scripture to confession um, or repentance or these kinds of practices, um, confession especially yes. because from the beginning of this moment where folks sat down to reinterpret this God that we follow, Yahweh, um, this sitting down um, to be, this, this is the God who demonstrates that first. And just that it's like so inspiring. It's just a truth that is beyond, I don't even know how to, it's beyond, I can't articulate. It's just like, 
and that invitation to like that that kind of love it's yeah. just it's yeah. it, it it does transform and it does override programming and override experiences and it is transformative and the more it's i feel like the more that i the more that i learn and grow the more that i find myself going back to like the core of love Mm -hmm. i think about mora i think about different people who like you spend you know or dave and that you spend your life studying and trying to get to the root and then like you realize oh it was there the whole time it's still that and i just find myself trying to articulate the unconditional gratuitous overwhelming costly committed you know love of of god and it's it's just incredible so Thank you, thank you, thank you, Eric. I so appreciate you sharing your story. Eric, we, we'll probably have to do this again. You have so many stories to tell us um, about grace, about being known, about uh, overcoming. But thank you for this conversation where you shared about some of the histories that we all sit in and we might be blind to, the, the, the histories of systemic racism in, within slavery, practices that are inherited by the church, the ways that the church has functioned not in this kind of imago day gospely unconditional love dignifying way um, and then the the ways that that looks real and the ways that we encounter that in a real way through through human beings and through being courageous so thank you eric um follow eric on instagram uh, <laughs> uh you know i you know it's so easy to find me you know, because it's it's always been blonde Negro, right? But now I'm, you know, in in light of my learning, I'm wondering, can I can I eat? Can I redeem the term Negro? Recognizing, you know, like where 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 it came from. But in the meantime, I'm blonde Negro. So yeah, exactly. Blonde so Negro. Follow, yeah, follow him there now. Um, you can find. I don't know if you post these to your Instagram, but he has a ton of really helpful sermons on a new Abbey's YouTube page. You can go to YouTube and uh, search new Abbey church Pasadena. Um, and you have to scroll through some pictures to try and find a blonde brother. Um, (laughs) and there's just so much helpful helpfulness in there. When we sit down in these conversations for those of you who have listened to this point, just know that we are celebrating in this instance, we're celebrating Eric's story. And we are um, remembering the story of kind of how we got to where we are in this place in history with racism bubbling over in all the places within the matrix. Um, so we, we honor that and we, we want to see that differently. We want to celebrate Eric's story and who Eric is and the work he's done and the community around him that has loved him to be who he is now. So we celebrate that and we just reimagine Genesis 1 27 together. Um, and the unconditional love of God. So with all that said, you have to know that you are loved and we are family because we are all made in the image of God. And that's just the way it is. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're feeling, we're family and you're loved. So until next time, know that, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. We are-